0: As a
1: performer, your body is there. Hi, I'm Mad Kate, and you're listening to Sweat, sexuality, work, extraction, art, theatrics. Sweat is a series of conversations about performance and performativity of the sexual and sexualized body at work, where work is defined as the labor of survival, the labor of care, creativity, and capital A art. How exactly do we define our work? And how does that work entangle and circumscribe our sexual identities, our creative lives, and the ways in which we provide care? How do we perform tasks, acts of care, and identities? These conversations are a means to speak between intersectionalities by anchoring through our always-already and ever-pervasive, sexualized, racialized, working bodies, our artistic bodies, our performative bodies. I hope they will contribute to dialogues which normalize sex work as work and all work as deserving of respect, healthy conditions and a living wage.
0: It's moving, you know, so something is happening. But at the same time, your body as well, if I do a lot of performance, it vanishes very fast too. I think it's so ephemeral. Sometimes I fear because the body is so vulnerable and if the body is not protected, it's very open for severe exploitation as well.
1: Happy New Year, happy 2023. I'm very excited to return to Sweat with a second season, which will feature new and old interviews as part of this longer and ongoing project. Today I'm going to share three excerpts of conversations I was able to record with Simone Hakiriyuma Pato. Simone has been a collaborator and fellow artist I've just enjoyed speaking to so much throughout the years about art, labor, performativity, class, race, and gender. Our first conversation was for the SWEAT project in 2019. I caught up with them again in 2020 during the pandemic when my electronic duo, Hyenas, made an audiovisual work entitled Perimeter, and we asked Simone to explore performatively their many different intersectionalities. And finally, I followed up just now in 2023 to see where they are at post-pandemic.
0: This form of labor of being at a desk, like who invented this? It's absurd. We're like, dig to these strange computers or this idea of the desk, that this is real work.
1: Simone is a German Colombian interdisciplinary artist whose works deal with queer decoloniality and are located between cinema, video installation and performance. Simone studied media art at the Academy of Media Arts Cologne and film at the International School of Film and Television, Cuba. Simone's films Aribada and Mila Chaos have premiered at Cannes Directors' Fortnight and were selected for the New York Film Festival, BFI London, and won, among others, the Emerging Talent Prize at Kurzfilmtage Overhausen and a nomination for the Queer Palm in Cannes
0: 2022. Do I do what I love? Um, I'm actually not sure. Or I think sometimes I come to this moment where I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do and what i 'm doing, what I love I think especially when i 'm creating, but like to come to this point to be able to create, I think sometimes very hard, and then theres like way towards it. sometimes I lose myself or I don't feel uh, that I'm doing what I love, especially like uh, when i'm like um and confronted with reality of funding, especially I think really down to earth, like yeah <laughs> capitalism market and how to be able to survive and how to be able to have enough of a financial system to be able to create. I think there's something in that internalizes like an idea of that things need to kind of work, that the, the art we create kind of needs to be successful, needs to be able to compete. And sometimes this really um, shadows, I think, a creation and really hinders because it is really goal oriented And I think a lot is lost and I think because of this, sometimes I feel it uh, like some sunglasses I put on, uh, and this, it's very hard for me to get these sunglasses off my head to uh, to be able to see what I really need to do. And this sometimes, yeah, why I shift always so much in disciplines. Sometimes I feel that I'm I'm always in between. I'm working on stage, but not really. I'm working with film, but not really. <laughs> This year I was like perhaps I should shift to um, more into an art context and like as a strategy to always, if I found myself too much in something, the the pressure of the market, I feel it's so strong. In film it's very strong because in film film has been industrialized uh, and so there is always this side of it um, which is very heavy and so if I'm too much in this environment, I don't know how people survive and not lose track of what they want to do when they only work in film. I have like firms who produce every year new work, and they're only in festivals. And then I think there's no time to reflect on what I'm doing. I think they need they need definitely to be in this, I think as well, even the festival market, even like, um, like not talking about the Hollywood or commercial films, but really always, uh, in the art house sector, I feel it like really uh, in the independent sector that there's this to always uh, be there present and to always need to produce work to to stay kind of relevant. It was super interesting for me being in Cuba because I remember that this feeling that I, I feel sometimes worthless when I'm not producing. And I I think this is like exactly how capitalism works. Like we internalize something that our self worth is so linked to our productivity. But what does productivity actually mean? And what is like, it's reproductive labor, care work, being with your friends. This is not something which there's giving a value to. And uh, sometimes in society, sometimes even Colombia is extremely, severely capitalistic too. Sometimes I feel there's this resistance, especially in the cause, for example, sometimes to, to not work. Or like uh, people sit outside, hanging out with their friends the whole day, playing domino. And sometimes when I I really think I'm missing that... And sometimes, really, when I'm in this context here, for me, it's impossible to maintain this. i become this, like, super competitive being, too, and I can distance myself from what I kind of perceive myself as being my true being. Uh, yeah, so this is why I'm always escaping, too. I, I didn't find, really, the way to to manage this yet, <laughs> I really like this. Um, I think it's actually a Marx code. I don't know if I get it right in English. In German, is Jeder um, nach seinen Bedürfnissen, Jeder nach seinen Fähigkeiten. So everybody, so that we would be in this perfect uh, society if everybody could, like. Uh, On their talent or creativity, like develop their skills according to what they want to do, you know. And so perhaps there would new possibilities probably would come up, not what I think I need to be or I think what I need to do, but what I actually am. Yeah. So I I think my ideal working conditions would actually be if I could create and do what I'm good at, but at the same time that there is given value to, yeah, for example, being with your friends, you know, I think like the social aspect is something very, very important. And this is why I like to work with friends because I feel it's a way I can be with my friends. But I think this like Sometimes not goal-oriented, just to be my friends, you know, just to be social. This is, I think, a super important part of my life. But there is no capital value in it. I think you can see this in a because now I'm with Christian, who's working in a hospital, like seeing how much a nurse is getting paid. You know, this is, I think, it's so fucking dramatic. You know, they can barely survive, and they're actually. Taking care of the sick ones and and so they they don't work there because they're getting paid good money, but because of something else too you know so I think care work is something I would definitely. Be able that uh, that there is a value in that, you know, that I could say, or oh, I go on holidays, or I'm like, uh, t- t- three months I will just be my my friends hanging <laughs> hanging out, or as well taking care, you know. Perhaps I feel we cannot all only. Create. I don't know. I'm discussing this a lot with a friend of mine who's a uh, strong Marxist, and he's always saying everybody needs to do shit work too, you know, from cleaning or, for example, yeah, reproductive labor. Sometimes, I mean, with the film was a perfect example. I was doing one year. Only writing emails, organizing—you uh, know, like sending uh, the film to to festivals, like doing all this organization—and was definitely not my passion. And after a year, I completely crashed, you know. But perhaps this labor I put in gave me some sort of freedom to not be tied to other forms of commercial. Yeah, yeah. I think if I would be in a production company, then, then I, there would be other problems, you know. So, like, I have uh, now a, g- a good friend of mine, like, she's working, like, for Netflix. Uh, and then it's very interesting how she's saying that she, like, she feels that she needs to completely give everything of her life, She's getting well paid, and then she needs to be grateful that she has this job, but she's a script writer, and then the director takes it and completely converts it into something else, and she says, well, I'm actually there, you know? So um, I'm actually, I don't have any agency or autonomy in what I'm doing because at the end, everything I write or create is getting, uh, yeah, somebody destroys it, and then... I really think about as well this idea of the individualization of the, the artist. And I think that's something really Western. I'm always, uh, like in Colombia or uh, different African communities, like art as a ritual, art as a collective experience, this idea of like, the ego of the artist. Sometimes I feel the people in our art world, which have the biggest ego, who are able to appropriate best uh, something in a community and manifest it into one identity are the ones who are successful, you know. But I think there are so many, yeah, like uh, the Carnival in Barranquilla, you know, it's like a collective experience of, of dance, of, uh, of community, of performance. And perhaps we need to shift towards it to go away of this, this, uh, yeah, personification or finding that this person who rep- represents. Yeah, now the queer perspective, the post-migrant, the, the the person of color, what would it be for example to have a space with other artists where like we're not tied to let's say kind of <laughs> a gallery or an institution where we kind of like create our own space, you know, and then uh, perhaps everybody would need to do the shit work as well once a week, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, are there other possibilities? And I fear artists, groups or collectives who over a long time uh, would have been able to have a process, I think are very interesting to me, you know. I think it's very interesting, these uh, Gob squad, the uh, New protocol, um, they're moving in every aspect like from theater and and they kind of made it to maintain themselves for a long time but yeah Audrey Lord says always these projects often last three years and then the system completely crashes them you know and this has been my my experience too I haven't been able to be in a project uh, over three years because of that I think when I'm like I think it's definitely tied to an audience and uh, not meaning that creating for an audience, but like when in the festival in Cartagena, there were like this young queer crowd from a completely different context of the uh, barrios in in Colombia. And they were saying, oh, thank you so much that this accident was, this film was created. It's the first time we see, feel something we could identify with. And I think these are moments where I'm like, this is a real validation, you know? So I don't think that I necessarily... Need the validation of the of big institutions i I use them, and I use them, but I think these are moments when in a great dilemma there was this sixty five year old Swiss uh, man from uh, like Brandenburg and he started crying and uh, the, we need to debrief and later he was saying, "I was never asked this question, "Are you man or woman and before i wasn 't asked this question i didn 't know what to answer because i don 't get questions this and so I think these are moments for me where I really fear that there is something happening, you know? And I, these moments, I think, are very beautiful. And the creation with my friends. When I create with my friends, I, I feel very validated with them, through them. I definitely think I, I'm not getting paid uh, at all, whether I should get paid. Um, and I think I have a strange, I think, I don't know if it's only something, but it comes from my family. So I'm like, my father was this coming from a uh, working class background and like, so this 1970s, my mother too did a lot of Ehrenamt. and my father was uh, is an academic, and so he was always, yeah, protecting the thinking for itself. Uh, and then, then I think I grew up with that this is the most important, you know, to like um, educate yourself. And but like now, facing like uh, my thirties, I think it's very hard because I know that I never. I learn to give value to my work. So I think I get exploited a lot and I already feel bad when I ask for more money, you know? And so I had this, I was doing like a, on Saturday a camera work which is really just something which is labor. For a project I have a lot of problems with and, and then I already feel bad if I get asked the money I should get. And I think it's even worse when it's an own project. Like now I'm trying to do this new firm and I think I've been working for free for years on it. And then we do the finance plan and then I see it and it's like something where I'm, I think, oh, I, I will not, don't know how I will survive from that doing this project. Uh, and I already feel bad asking for more. This is something really strange, you know. And I don't know why. I'd, yeah, sometimes it's, it's something with, perhaps with shame or with self-worth as well. I don't know, like that. I feel that perhaps I'm not not worth it if I ask for more. Like it's something really like uh, <laughs> I think there are some deep issues, you know, that I'm I'm not I will not be to be able to keep up with the that ex- expectations. So there's a kind of a safe space and not getting paid too because I always think oh I can do it there's something I do for free in a way you know it's very strange but I think this is as well capitalism, you know yeah as, as well like as a queer person or like when you are so used to the margin sometimes it's a comfortable place too and it's hard to put yourself in the center you know and I think it's something which is really internalized and I'm just learning to do it to ask more money. Yeah, it's very interesting because I was thinking about this a lot. I feel that the body, like, is very predominant in my work, even though when I'm not performing, I think it's always. Even when I'm filming, I think actually what I'm working on is the body, you know. But sometimes it's the impossibility to move. What I really like in performance is that there's something happening when I'm like sitting at the desk and applying uh, to a festival. Or doing a funding application, you know, I'm like, why this form of labor of being at a desk? Like, who invented this? It's absurd. Why don't we walk in the park and record our other forms? Once I asked to a funding institution, can is that can we not apply like doing drawings? And the whole the whole everybody laughed at me, and I was like you're super naive, 23, and I'm still like, why not, you know, like. These forms of how we, like, apply, we like, stick to these strange computers or this idea of the desk, that this is real work is very absurd. So there's something in a performance what I like is that I think definitely your body is moving, you know, so something is happening. But at the same time, your body as well, if I do a lot of performance, sometimes I feel it's, it vanishes very fast, too. It's, uh, I think it's so ephemeral that sometimes it's very uh, difficult that it stays. And sometimes I feel performance is even more precarious than film. In a film, I, I still have that I have this thing I can move through the world and I can show it. And sometimes in performance, I think because the body is so vulnerable and if the body is not protected, is the light like is very open for severe exploitation as well. I think it has to do with knowledge. Um, I think like embodied knowledge is something as well which is not given value to, so that the society doesn't give. For example, I think it is. I, I see this like a very dangerous thing which is happening that I think academics are taking over. Like for example, the dance seen in Berlin because they have been like 30 years they perhaps studied a degree in social science and then, then they are able to write a good application and dancers who have been working with their body for like let's say <laughs> uh, 25 years or they they are not able, they have a different knowledge which is in their body but so, they, so this validation how they uh, get funding and I think this is a real real big problem you know so uh, this is why I really love performance work like it's actually perhaps something I if we would live in a perfect world perhaps I would be much more in performance than I'm in film but I think I'm perhaps I'm a bit afraid or perhaps film is still something that there's a form of safety still which I'm like if I'm completely just doing performance I think I would be afraid to be even more precarious but this is something, I don't know. But I think, it's, I think there's definitely a devaluation of embodied knowledge.
1: In 2020, my partner Adrian Teischer and I, in our project Hyenas, were able to speak again with Simone about perimeter, meaning where are places where one feels that they both belong and don't belong. And Simone spoke a lot about their intersectionalities between race, class, and gender.
2: I always feel that I'm in between a race, nationality and and gender. Yeah, regarding to race, my mother is of indigenous Colombian descent. Um, That's uh, important to say because a lot of people think like uh, Colombia is a very multi-ethnic country, so colonialism worked in a very specific way. Uh, So there are a lot of uh, differing ethnic groups and uh, my father is white and in a lot of contexts uh, my yeah, identity or how I'm red like reconfigures depending on the context and so uh, in Colombia it's with the regions if I'm like in the coast I'm definitely red as white uh, in Bogota I'm kind of off-white um, and in Germany um, it's as well like the idea of passing like in some contexts I pass and others not and uh, so I can perform whiteness, yeah. Especially like when I move uh, now with um, Colombian friends who are staying in my house, and we move through the city. And we all speak Spanish, like how people perceive us, and uh, as well uh, when they listen to us speaking Spanish all the time. And then I, I can really see this shift, like how people talk to us, like uh, like in Hazenhead we bought a beer, and then it was just. Uh, uh, this very Berlin way, fifty, uh, and they did not understand and then he got very angry at them and then was like, uh, I already said how much it was and so I really know I, how different I am perceived when I'm with them than when I'm like with Christian or with, with uh, white friends of mine so how like in every context is always this refiguration of um, um, how I'm read uh, and I know that there is a privilege because I can still choose and I can still uh, perform that like um, in difference to like a black woman or a non-passing trans woman. So um, it's a very specific positionality. And I think in Germany there's a lot of invisibility in regards to like a second generation perspectives, I think. Uh, now I'm working on a film where it's about the Chicano experience I, and I see a lot of like parallels uh, to the specificities of, of this um, in-betweenness and uh, racial in-betweenness. And I was thinking as well gender-wise, I, all, I as well define as gender fluid. Uh, I'm not a trans woman, but f- uh, for me, yeah... I'm I'm very fluid in this, so as well there I'm, I'm both and I'm I'm, I'm moving, and in regards to nationality as well, um, the Colombian roots are very strong and there is a lot of connection, and more and more I'm like uh, I'm moving in between countries and working a lot of as well in Bogota and um, it's very interesting how I'm perceived there as well. And how closer there I am to privileges I don't have here, or how, uh, I, yeah, how I'm seen there. I'm still asking myself, why do I I feel that I'm more seen there? And on one hand, I think it's colonial perpetuating a concept that there I'm like from Europe, and I had the privilege to study here, and so I'm seen there. Uh, as well like through this uh, glance of somebody who comes from outside Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's not only that so there's um, and this shift of like really feeling how my body changes when I'm there and when I'm here is something really interesting which has been something since I'm like five like a child yeah something in, in my life very present. It's really something I feel in my body as well, like the relation to, to movement or to dance or to especially when when I can pass or when I could pass in school. And the more um, the German schools are very racist. So the first four years were very mixed and we were like with a lot of, uh, yeah, I was in this whole like Iranian, German, Turkish, German uh, community and more and more in the gymnasium like um, all the post migrants and people of color would kind of like pushed out of the of, of the of the school and so it was really interesting how um, I really feel that there was this side of me which was not seen and I needed to hide or I needed to uh, and as I could pass uh, I could like really perform that and um so it was, and the, always when I got back, so this moving between contexts was always, um, yeah, very present to me. Yeah, I feel it a lot in in everyday life, how, how I move, how I talk in Spanish, how I talk in German. I mean, there's really a lot of like cultural codes, which really... Um, where you kind of become a, uh, I would not say a different person yet, but yes perhaps yes like where i become a different person in, in each context so um, and here always like from since i'm a child this oh, don't talk too loud don't laugh too loud or our neighbors always complaining so this kind of like interiorized way of like always have the feeling of being too much and always needing to really try to, to not offend and yeah, more and more, I'm talking with this about my sister. Like there are, yeah. I always say we grow up with Marx and with Garcia Marquez, and not with like Goethe, you know. Or like there is this when you pass that there are these cultural references uh, which you don't have. It come from more from a like radical left this family than from a bourgeois family, and so that this um, we we cannot like. Yeah, from our background, like a lot of German codes, uh, uh, cultural reference, we don't have them in us, you know. Like, oh, we we didn't got that from from home. But this is interesting, too, because actually my father, from the German side, he has a working-class background, but like very leftist Marxist. And uh, my mother, she's like from a a middle-class, high-middle-class Colombian background. So there's this class aspect, too. That uh, is very interesting, so it was, it's really like uh, the, re- the reversal of what people expected. Like, the, um, my mother's not the working-class migrant, gastarbeiter, 70s, even though she was uh, she came in, this, uh, in, in the 70s, which was this generation, so she was always uh, migrantisiered or read as that. Uh, and actually, from my father's side, um, there is actually this uh, class background. Uh, So this was interesting, too. So when I was in Colombia, I was as well shifting into a different uh, class, very different to uh, how we grew up here, which was much more VSB, um, shine, uh, the equivalent to Neukölln, but in Bonn. And um, so I was always shifting. And as well, uh, uh, culturally, I was very identified with like a lot of uh, hip-hop music I was dancing my whole childhood and so there I was always in this like post-migrant POC crowd where we're like um, into breakdance but it was like very patriarchal and very sexist too so I already knew that I needed to hide my queerness uh, and then I found theater where I could be like uh, I met a lot of queer peeps but it was a very white background so there was um, the only uh, person of color and there was this, uh, I felt very exoticized and it was not I I, I, I could not uh, bring in uh, my background and uh, it was very hard for me there so it was in either context it was kind of difficult this was as well one of the big problems I had in Germany like for film like funding all my yeah. works where I, the racism I received or the racism i was confronted was way more this cultural racism of not uh, like being queer and of color um, and not so much the everyday racism like a black person or my friends who are like visually um, uh, read as a muslim person or so it's different but i was because I, I could pass, or I had this proximity, um, I could have performed to a certain extent, but there was always this limit no? as well, language-wise, uh, culture-wise, where I could not deliver what was like expected for me. Yeah. And this is something, uh, because you asked me about how it becomes uh, like a feeling, especially like in high cultural context, I really feel it in my body, like uh, opera, especially with older white men that i really get intimidated and i re- it's really for me hard to exist within this place and i have this feeling i can i do not belong here i was invited to this uh, dinner with this like bourgeois dramaturg and it was really interesting i really asked christian can you please c- come with me because i am not be able to uh, exist in the space and I was so happy that he was there and there was this constant like that the husband of this guy and they were actually gay um, he was constantly like uh, trying to disvalue my experience so it was this constant way of when I was Saying uh, or mentioning something about Colombia, then it was there was always this slide. Oh, then we should, also uh, we should all move there, or we so like this always devaluing the experience, and uh, then always talking about German Zingvogel and birds and like really like regional stuff. I really don't know, and so always like testing, you know, and then it's like uh, re- really crazy. Like in this space, I always uh, choose not to be. But on one hand, I'm like okay, it's like. Um, Perhaps there uh, is a possibility of a job. and uh, that's, Yeah, in, in my personal life, I completely choose not to be there. And I have another like example in Colombia, the other way around. I met these producers and they were like, there I, I completely, I, I pass and they think they always do this we and they include me in their we and then they don't know that I'm actually, they don't my life, how I grew up here in Berlin, they don't know the context that I have this experience of being post-migrant here with my project which was with this precarious sex work community in Bogota and these producers they were like warning me oh these you need to be careful like these queer sex workers they can rob us and like there was this whole like transphobia coming out of them and it was so crazy because I was really like you are making a we where I actually I'm not in this we where I did not belong, did not fit, and it was really interesting.
1: During the pandemic in Germany, some funding was made available to freelancers. But in addition to that, there was a lot more funding that was made available through artist stipends. So those who could get access to those grants did encounter a a new environment for art and creation, I caught up with Simone just now in 2023 to see how the pandemic had affected their work.
2: At the time the pandemic hit the world, I was living in Colombia where my family's from and suddenly I had access to all these funds I never had access to before. And I really could see this huge, enormous gap and colonial difference uh, which came with my privilege of being born uh, in Germany and to be able to have access to these funds while all my Colombian friends, born in Colombia and based in Colombia, uh, for them it was a matter of survival. And to see how this affects different populations uh, in such a moment of crisis, how different uh, it is depending on which part of the world uh, you are born. At the same time, I don't want to fall into this rhetoric of being thankful for the German states because at the end it's like breadcrumbs Um, um, the German economy is making. Um, with their form of uh, neoliberal exploitation and that this should be like a standard. It should be a standard. I was always hustling for money and money was always an issue for me and still is. But suddenly it almost felt like a basic income. And um, to feel that I felt like so uh, relieved and that I could just focus on my work and I feel that I'm still like picking the fruits from that time where I could just uh, focus on my artistic work, work without thinking about money, without hustling and being independent from institutions where uh, I didn't need to distort my my vision uh, to please a uh, uh, the discourse of an institution and really could just focus on my work. And I think this should be the standard for for, for every working artist uh, in any part of the world. I feel that I'm still picking the fruits of all the work I could do in the pandemic. And it was a really crazy year, 2022, because in the moment the pandemic started fading and I immediately again was in the thread mill. No. I had a lot of visibility. I was showcasing my work all over the world. And at the same time, I was again as precarious as I was before. And I was not getting paid at all uh, what I should get paid f- uh, for the work I was doing. And this was really crazy how fast again I lost this yeah or I was buying into this idea of if I showcase in this institution and my show and my work is shown there even though they don't pay me I have a value attached to my work that will pay off in the future and yeah how I get like confused by this kind of logic and um, I think that's, uh, that this was very, very frustrating.
1: You just heard from Simone Hakiriuma Pato, a German-Colombian interdisciplinary artist based between Germany and Colombia, whose works deal with queer decoloniality and are located between cinema, video installation, and performance. I'm Mad-Kate, and you've been listening to Sweat, a series of conversations about performance and performativity of the sexual and sexualized body in work. The theme music was composed by me and features the voice of performer and actress Laurie Baldwin. Sweat airs each month first on Collaboradio on the first Tuesday of the month at 1 o'clock Central European Time. Collaboradio airs on Free Radio's Berlin Brandenburg, which is fr-bb.org. Thanks so much, and until next time.